Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Dan Club and Chloe Bloxham to have a look back at Liverpool's win over Villarreal and preview the game against Newcastle. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool beat Villarreal 2-0 in the first leg of their Champions League semi-final. Jordan Henderson with a deflected opener in the 53rd minute, followed by Sadio Mane within about three minutes, making it 2-0. At that point, it looked like Liverpool might actually blow Villarreal away. In the end, it stayed 2-0, a solid result, but still a job to do uh, in the return leg next week. So we'll start today with Dan, um, seeing as he was uh, off last week and he's returned to the podcast. Dan, I'll come to you for your... Uh, three-word match review as ever, but I'd also like to know how you feel about having a, a two-goal lead and if maybe someone had said to you before the game that it, it would finish 2-0, um, how would you have sort of felt about that? Uh, yeah, um, glad to be back, obviously. Uh, niggles all cleared up now, so good to go. Um, yeah, no, uh, three-word match review, I'll start with that. So it's simply, I'm so glad, which obviously is the current buzz song around Anfield um, and I mean listen you know we're on the the cusp the verge the brink however you want to describe it of a potential quadruple there's a lot of work to be done but you know these are the days to support this football club let's be honest um, and it's all thanks to Jurgen Klopp so I'm so glad is my review for this week but in terms of the game yeah, listen, you can't sort of turn your nose up at a 2-0 scoreline pretty much in any game of football, really. Um, I do think there are opportunities to, to put it to bed last night. Obviously, we're going to dig deeper into the game. I think maybe, you know, the scoreline arguably flattered Villarreal. I think they'd be quite relieved to get away just two goals behind. But, yeah, I'd a bit your hand off because there's nothing I've seen in that game there that makes me worry about the away leg. And that might be, you know, slightly short-sighted. It might be slightly naive. But I just don't see where Villarreal can really hurt us. And if they can hurt us, it's just going to expose them even more. So, yeah, I'm fully aware they do pose a threat. But I just don't think it's a big enough threat to concern us, particularly with a two-goal cushion already. I just wanted to pick up on on the last thing you said there. And, and Chloe, I'll, I'll come to you now. Obviously, Liverpool are leading 2-0, going back to Villarreal's home ground. So, what would your review be? And also, what kind of game do you expect? Because I think a lot of the pre-match build-up now will be people saying that Villarreal are going to now have to sort of come out and expose themselves. And that could be almost the thing that lets Liverpool in and, and lets Liverpool kill the game off. So, is that the kind of game you're braced for? Or do you think maybe they might still be a little bit cautious sort of early in the game and then just sort of have to kind of abandon that approach maybe in the second half, for example. Um, I mean, I'll give you my match review first. I've got two, so I'll just give you either of them. Um, the first one is halfway there and the second one is we are witnessing greatness because uh, this is the best Liverpool side I will ever see in my life, hands down. Um what what we did yesterday, we made it look so easy. So, so easy. And that was a semi-final in the Champions League. Um, yesterday's performance, it was very much like 
the Reds, in that first half, everyone can talk about how good Villarreal were off the ball. But we had so many big chances that we didn't take. Salah had about three chances on his own. Um, and it kind of flattered them at the fact that they went in nil-nil at half time. And maybe everyone was deceived by the way we played because it was nil-nil. But we were really, really good. Um, and obviously Thiago could have scored an absolute screamer. In the second half, we just blew them away. It was very much, I said before the game, the problem about this Liverpool side is if you're trying to sit there and just let them break you down, is eventually you'll get tired or eventually you'll lose focus because it is so hard. Because as soon as you lose that focus, they're there to pounce and we were. And we weren't there, they lost the focus. We, you know, we obviously got quite a lucky goal but we deserved it and then um, they just couldn't handle with the atmosphere it felt like they were getting strangled it really did and I was in the crowd it, that's what it felt like when that noise came down on them I'm sure um, and we should have had about three or four we've missed some massive chances we haven't killed the game off so 2-0 is still quite a scary scoreline but I'm hoping that they're going to have to come out I think it's I, I don't think they'll come out on us straight away they might do with the atmosphere that they can create, but I think 2-0 to them is not as bad as it could have been. 2-0 is we are still in the game. If we can nick a goal somewhere and then we can keep our shape and the last 20 minutes we go for it. Um, but I'm hoping that Liverpool have the quality to pick them off when they do go for it. But I am I'm expecting a controlled attack from them. There'll be more from them. But I'm not too sure it'll be full throttle because they know as soon as they expose themselves, Liverpool are there to pick the gaps up. We did it with 11 men behind the ball. We'll be able to do it easily if you come attacking us. So, um, yeah, I'm expecting more of an open game, but I also expect them to be controlled out of possession. Yeah, I think Emery's not going to take too many risks. I don't think he's certainly going to you know, play 10 times more aggressive or whatever in that reverse fixture I think he's going to buy this time a bit and maybe like I said if it gets to the last 45 minutes last 30 minutes that's when he's got to kind of throw caution to the wind if if they're in the same position and that's maybe when the tie could be put to bed but my three word review would be uh, midfielders thrive again and that's because if you look kind of down the years at big European nights at Anfield and I guess the strange thing this season has been that with the Inter game and, and the Benfica one, Liverpool were kind of two goals up coming into it. So it, it wasn't game over by any stretch, but it did kind of... It, I don't think it had that feeling of being, you know, that, that big a night because you everyone was kind of assuming silently that Liverpool were going to go through. And obviously they did uh, with a bit of difficulty. And, you know, some changes were made to the team, certainly against Benfica, but... Last night, with it being the first leg, certainly did have that feeling. You saw, obviously, how uh, the team was welcomed uh, to the stadium in sort of trademark fashion. Um, and always in those games, sort of going back to kind of the 17-18 season when, when we went to the final, it's felt to me like it's the midfielders in the team. You know, even back in the days of sort of Wijnaldum, Milner and, and Henderson being the midfield, it's always felt like They've been the ones who sort of really rose rose to it the most and almost the atmosphere unlocked the most from them. And last night, I think, you know, all the midfield, I mean, Henderson, obviously, 
it was his kind of run and his ball into the box that creates the first goal. He also made four tackles as well, which is, you know, a decent haul. Fabinho was absolutely immense in the second half. We'll come on to him in a bit. And Antiago, and we must have discussed him and raved about him about three or four weeks in a row. Is there even a need to discuss him again? But you can't kind of just gloss over, I guess, the performance levels that you're seeing. And it does kind of bear repeating a lot of the stuff that we're saying. So I thought he, again, produced another just sequence of jaw-dropping passes and you can hear kind of the reaction in the stadium, the sort of pairing of the crowd when he manages to pull them off. Um, and there was a piece of play, I think, in the lead-up to that first goal, which, you know, prime Thiago in terms of just finding a gap and and, and stringing the ball through it. Um, and, you know, that was certainly a key contribution to that move. So let's talk about him and pick up on that a bit. Uh, Dan, I'll, I'll come to you. Over this sort of stretch of games, and maybe this kind of, you know, we talked a lot about how April was going to be this season, the final month uh, with all these difficult fixtures. Could you make the case, especially with, you know, obviously Salah's goal scoring having like dried up a little bit. Could you make the case that Thiago is actually our best player at, the, at this moment in time? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think he's been our best player for the last few weeks. Um, he's been so instrumental in every performance, hasn't he? And And also in every way, I think... You know, we all sort of rave about his passing and you know, the, his ability on the ball, which is, you know, undeniable. It's out of this world at times. Um, but it's also the work he does off the ball as well. And that was highlighted a few times last night. There was at least two incidences last night where he's tracking back and he seems to be on a bit of a lone furrow doing it as well. I mean, everyone worked the socks off last night, don't get me wrong. But Thiago's also got that side to his game whereby he was willing to do the work and he races back and he makes, you know, brilliant tackles to stop half-threatening counter-attacks and we get on the attack again. He's got this knack as well of when he makes them tackles, he always seems to be the one who gets himself back up and comes away with the ball. So not only does he win the ball back for us, he then sets us on the attack as well. So, yeah, just outstanding. Um, he was inch perfect last night and he has been for a few weeks. Um He's really come to the fore when we needed him most. We all spoke about his ability since he's joined the club, and obviously it took him a while to really sort of hit his straps, if you like. I think the injury didn't help, obviously, but we're seeing it now, perhaps when we needed him most as well, because, like I say, we all kind of knew he had this big game calibre behind him because he's done it before. I mean, you don't get Champions League winner at Barcelona and Bayern Munich on your resume without being decent in big games, and Every game now for the past three or four weeks and from now until the end of the season is massive. You know, we've got, you know, I think it's six, seven, eight cup finals left potentially. Well, it depends on what happens next week. So, yeah, outstanding yet again. Absolutely outstanding. And we've been lucky in a sense because he has had troubles with fitness um, since he arrived at the club. Not only that big injury, but, you know, the likes of him and Naby Keita falls into this bracket as well, and Joel Matip as well, to a lesser extent, perhaps. Um, seems to be enjoying a relatively, you know, good run in terms of availability. I mean, Thiago, you know, he doesn't play 90 minutes often. He's doing it quite a lot recently. Yes, we're changing him here and there, but compared to what he's done previously since he's been at the club, this is definitely his longest run about any sort of issue, in my opinion. So, yeah, incredible footballer. Um, and we're very, very fortunate to have him. It's crucial, obviously, that that run continues until 
at the end of the season and we can talk maybe later on when we come on to the Newcastle game about whether there's a need to do some management there. But Chloe, to sort of follow on from what, what Dan said there, he, he mentions about Thiago stepping up when Liverpool need him most. As Dan alluded to, he has this sort of um, calibre of you know playing for the likes of Barcelona and Bayern Munich and with kind of the silverware on the line now, do you think that that has almost brought out the best in him? Yeah, I also just think he, he knows the system more. He knows what's wanted from him. He's got up to fitness because at the beginning, um, there was, you've got to adjust to the to the Premier League. He's he's been playing for Barcelona, which um obviously a really high quality, but the league is genuinely quite slow. Then you go to Bayern Munich and you're really out on your own with winning the the Bundesliga. No one's really touching you for that. Um, and once again, it, it's just not the Premier League. It's just not the level of what is, you know, it's it's the highest level of football you can get. It's the most intense level of football you can get. And him being here now and getting used to it, um, obviously getting game in, game out, it, 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 he's got into a rhythm. And I tell you what, for, for how good and how many completed passes he makes, it's beyond me because he chooses some of the most riskiest passes, which they don't look risky at the time. But he's the one that's always the pre-assist. He's the one that's finding the ball right between the lines and then winning with one more pass. Um, he's constantly switching that ball and that's not an easy task for someone to do, but his quality just makes it look easy. It's absolutely ridiculous that this lad's coming out with high 90s um, for, for passing success. And uh, I've said it once too many times, but... I know every time he gets the ball, he's shimmying it onto his right foot. So I don't know what he's doing when people square up to him because I know where he's going. And yet those players constantly get done. It's his body weight. It's They look at him instead of looking at the ball, I swear, because every single time he gets done and it just it doesn't look. It looks so simple and elegant of a move. And every time he's doing them with it. Um, but I you run out of words for Thiago. He's one of the greatest players I've ever seen play for Liverpool. It's just, it's that simple. Um, watching him is is a joy. It's like, you don't even get to see what he does. And um, we talk about midfielders and, and how important they are to us. Well, last night he set the pace for us. We boxed them in. You know, Thiago was winning, um, crunching tackles at times, getting back up and getting us on the front foot, recycling that ball. Obviously, he's got the ability to take the shot that he does. Henderson, the same. Um, it's just, it's relentless, and that's what we're known for. Um, and now that he's got up to speed with it all, he's he's possibly one of the greatest midfielders that will ever play for Liverpool. I think, yeah, I think there's certainly um, a conversation that's sort of building there. And I think last week, last week, I was sort of thinking along the lines of of Xabi Alonso, for example. You know, depending on what. He goes on to achieve and hopefully that sort of that sort of take ages quite well. But you know, to pick up on what you said about kind of passing accuracy, I think it's a great point because you look at it yesterday, actually, he does finish in the high nineties with ninety-six percent, but he's attempted 103 passes. So, you know, 99 out of 103 is obviously immense. And then you actually look further down and he attempted nine long passes and made every single one. And that's probably the most impressive statistic because the difficulty of of doing that and I suppose even getting sort of seven out of nine is impressive on that kind of category but to, to complete all of them is uh 
is insane, to be honest. Um, but Dan, was there something you wanted to add on that? Yeah, just to quickly, just to say on that, I think I think you're dead right in what you say about it. Obviously, his long term passing being an element, but also it's it's the type of pass that he's taking on. Like, how often have we seen down the years players come out of games with those sort of numbers in terms of passing passing accuracy? But you just know it's been pretty safe, and it's been that side to side midfielder type role that we've seen, not from Liverpool necessarily, but from any player in the Premier League. But with Thiago, we've seen him take on some of the most audacious passes that people don't even see, like Chloe Ludis. People don't see them in the ground, but yet he's got this vision. So to come out of a game of football with high 90s passing accuracy by playing constantly risky passes is just exceptional. Yeah, and I think there's almost, in a strange way, there's like a fear factor now, I think, when he gets the ball. You know, Chloe talked about this move that he does that people might know it's coming but aren't able to stop it. I think that's always the marker of a very sort of high-level player um, when they're even able to to think one step ahead even when the other person is almost prepared. And there's kind of the elements as well of this, if we give him time on the ball, this next pass could basically cut us open. And we've seen a lot of passes where he's sort of got it a bit sort of behind the midfield defensive line. And then someone else takes up a position sort of behind the, the final defensive line or just in front of that. So they're in like a pocket between the lines and Thiago kind of disguises the pass, slips it through a gap. And it takes about four players out of the game. And that's just the perils of giving them time on the ball. So to have that kind of deeper line weapon in the team is has given Liverpool really another dimension. But to speak about one of the other midfielders um, who I mentioned earlier on, um, in Fabinho. Dan, there's this stat from last night that I do think we need to sort of focus on. And I think it's a lot of the time something that gets taken for granted, given the quality of, of teams like Liverpool and Man City and how they do this to teams. You know, this is a Champions League semi final. And yes, Villarreal have got here as, as underdogs. You know, I understand that. And we probably expected to be playing Bayern Munich in this game, but Bayern didn't do their job. Villarreal did. But in, in spite of that, you know, they're clearly deserving of a spot in the last four. And they had one shot in the whole game. And and even that shot was kind of a, a lunging half volley. I know someone on Twitter said it would have been one of the greatest goals ever if he'd, uh, if he'd actually managed to score that. So how crucial is someone like Fabinho in a level of, of dominance and a level of kind of suffocating the opposition? that allows you to restrict them to, to so little in a game of like such big magnitude. Yeah, I mean, even that shot came from a quickly taken free kick, didn't it, if I remember rightly? It was the Celso sort of running off in behind. Um, so even that wasn't sort of in open play, if you like. So, yeah, I mean, if Thiago put in like a masterclass of sort of creative midfield play, then this was a masterclass of defensive midfield from Fabinho because he was just, he was everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And... Doing all the things that we kind of wax lyrical about him for. It was all rolled into one last night. We've seen every single sort of facet of his game in one 90-minute performance. And yeah, you're dead right, because although Liverpool did dominate proceedings, there were times whereby you thought, OK, Villarreal are half getting out here and they're half on the counter-attack. But it was snuffed out so effectively time and time again by Fabinho. And also... I know you want to come on to Canarte, but by Canarte and Van Dijk sort of being so high up the field, we just box them in. At times, how often did we see that Villarreal just couldn't get out of the half? And I think when you're playing against a side like that, 
that are looking to sort of stifle Liverpool and make it difficult. It's so important that you're relentless because that's what eventually will make that gap and that's what eventually will sort of, someone will falter, somebody will slip up. If it's time and time again for 90 minutes, it's almost impossible to do that. So the likes of Fabinho winning the ball back and get us back playing again is so, so pivotal. Um, And yet, you know, there's not really, it's no coincidence that in Fabinho and in Rodri at Manchester City, you'd say, probably two, the two best defensive midfielders in the Premier League. Declan Mice would have a conversation about that, potentially. Um, but they're sort of outperforming themselves as well, West Ham, aren't they? So it, it kind of falls into the same category. But having somebody with such expertise in not only winning the ball back, but it's, all, it, it's the reading of the play and the ability to almost be there before anything can materialise. And obviously for me, Fabinho is the best at that. And I thought last night like I say, kind of summed up everything we love about him. And it was a display right at the top draw. Yeah, and I mean, we, we can think back to, to last season when sort of, it felt like every week you were sort Don't. of talking about, um, <laughs> you were talking about how we desperately needed Fabinho back in midfield. And we were sort of thinking, well, maybe we'd rather Fabinho at centre-back than someone like, you know, Phillips or Williams, because he's a higher calibre of player. But, you know, we saw when he did get back into that position later on in, in the campaign, that really illustrated how vital he was yeah. to, to our style of play. That's the way it goes in football. You only understand the importance of a player ultimately when they're not when they're not there. And in his case, he wasn't just in his normal position. But Michael Owen said yesterday that um, it was, I think he said it was impossible, literally impossible to... Um, to keep the ball against Liverpool when they were pressing in the manner that they did. And obviously, Chloe, we saw Villarreal playing out from the back, which is something that they did against Bayern Munich as well. And, you know, it didn't work. I think it's fair to say, like, that a lot of the time, they did sort of lose the ball in their own half or sort of just over the halfway line. So it didn't have the desired effect. And that's probably a testament to, to Liverpool more so than anything. But... I just want want to think about the sort of the level of coaching and the amount of coaching that's gone into this team in terms of the work they do off the ball, you know, when they lose it, how quickly they swarm the opposition, how compact they are with this high line um, to just completely suffocate teams. I mean, do you think like games like last night are just testament to the work that Klopp and his staff have done just over such a long period of time. And we're almost seeing now what is kind of certainly off the ball Liverpool as the finished article, really. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't happen overnight. You've got to drill into these players. You've got to um, have the characters in there to not let the big players also have, you know, the say over everyone. We've got some of the world's best players. Mo Salah who for the majority of the season was the best player and he's working back like no one else you've ever seen. I don't see this from Neymar, I don't see it from Messi, I don't see it from Ronaldo and obviously these are calibre players who are absolutely sensational but we've got some unbelievable players there and they know what it means to be part of a team, they work for each other. I remember even in like the, the last couple of minutes of the game, I mean, fair play to the Villarreal lad that he does well. I've got no idea who it was in this moment. But he drives out with the ball and he's got four Liverpool players on him. 
and he somehow bounces the ball off us and he carries on. And then he gets past Fabinho, but there's another one there. And then there's another one there. And he literally had to get past six players to do anything. And eventually he just the, the, the ball just ran away from him. He couldn't do nothing. And like I mentioned earlier, it felt like you, you were being suffocated because once that first goal went in, Anfield went to a different level. And when Anfield goes to a different level, it's more adrenaline for the players. Um, and also, I think what, what in that first half, um, I called for being out, not for being crap by any means. Just we, it, it seemed like um, Villarreal were doing much better with the press and getting out than they actually were. It was because when we won the ball in those areas, we were being very, very quick with it. And we were always choosing the most difficult pass when it didn't need to be done. And I remember we won the ball in a brilliant position. And Fabinho tries a, a really hard pass for reasons unbeknown because we've 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 won the ball out of the pitch when they're trying to pass out from the back. And it just goes out for a for a goal kick. And in that moment, I was like, Fabinho, just choose a simple pass. Just get us on our way there. You don't need to choose this unbelievable ball. And then in the second half, you homed in on Fabinho and he was absolutely everywhere. He was winning the ball so high up the ball, uh, high up the pitch, sorry. And um, you can't press in ones and twos, you press as a team. And for us to press at the level that we do, with the intensity that we do, it's, you know, just, it's everything to the backroom staff who put in hours and hours of drilling it into these players and then these players wanting to do it and having the attitude to do it um, because we, we don't press with one or two players, the entire team presses and that's why you feel like you're suffocating um, and I'm pretty sure Villarreal did and we should have scored more, we didn't um, I mean there's some misses there, I think Fabinho wins a ball really high up the pitch and Diaz you know turns his player inside out and shoots and puts it past the post. Um, we could add so many more goals, but we, we didn't take the opportunities. But um, as you said, the, the way these players are drilled and the attitude that Jürgen Klopp gets from these players, for them not to get ahead of themselves, A, but also B, to be one of the greatest football teams and most defo up there with City as the greatest right now in world football, and to still put the effort in that they do, to not get complacent, um, there's some massive characters there for that. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a really good point to to, to touch on as well in terms of the, the appetite that's there to, to win the ball back. And um, wow, I'm just, I just had to check. The um, XG last night was 0.08. So again, I, again, just further evidence of Liverpool's complete domination. And it's almost deceptive when when you play us, I think, because you and I think maybe opposition players find this as well, as they're sort of running with the ball. It almost looks like Liverpool are are open, but it's you still kind of have that faith. It's like it's like a nerve wracking because we are so aggressive in the way that we defend, but you have that faith that will catch them offside and that. You know the press will be successful, and even though we are sort of positioned so high up the pitch, and we can sometimes find ourselves in dangerous situations, it's like there's so many layers of protection there. It's crazy. You've got, you know, the initial press, 
you know, then obviously you've got to get through the midfield, past the high line. Even if you get past the high line, then you've got sort of the recovery pace of, of someone like Van Dijk running back. Canate as well, who's obviously uh, pretty quick himself. And then obviously the final kind of trump card they've got is having Alisson and Golden He virtually has to do nothing the whole game yesterday, which I, it's just something we can't take for granted for me, you know, in a game, in a game like this to have such a level of, of dominance. It just shows the, the calibre of team that Liverpool are. But I've mentioned them there and and Dan, you you spoke about him earlier as well. Ibrahim Akanate. And it's almost strange to speak about him in light of everything we've just said there in terms of Liverpool having it sounds like Liverpool had so little defending to do based on that. But it probably better exemplifies the the level of defending that we did. Um, more so than Villarreal not posing any sorts of, of questions. Um, do you think, Dan, that because he's so young and because it looks like he's sort of in here for a decade or more, that that sort of Canate signing for only 36 mil is actually one that we should look at from, from last summer and say it was potentially one of the best that any kind of Premier League team pulled off? Oh, 100%. And I think... You know, we're only really waking up to that prospect now, I think, as Liverpool fans, because he has sort of been drip-fed into the side. But, you know, he's been drip-fed in on some big occasions. He's not like, you know, we've seen him solely in Carabao Cup and solely in the early rounds of the FA Cup. You know, he kind of just appeared, you know, at Old Trafford, Man United away, and then Champions League games. And then he played 180 minutes against Benfica recently. So... His outings, if you like, have been, you know, pretty high profile and he's done himself justice and more so every single time. I think there was some early sort of teething problems with him, whereby, you know, the high line that we all speak so so glowingly about and rightfully so, he might have had a bit of trouble adapting to that. But, I mean, he's done it now. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And his performances continue to be brilliant. And as much as you say, and you're right to say, Liverpool didn't have a great deal to do defensively. I think so much of that comes from what we've already spoke about with Fabinho and Canate and Van Dijk and how good they were at sort of shutting down any potential issues that we might have faced. Like Canate, I thought he was exceptional, faultless again, quite frankly. And at times he was almost, what I did notice, he was almost playing that Joel Matip type advanced role where he's picking up the ball in their half and like trying to set us on our way a little bit, um, which is good to see because you know we want him to have sort of ball playing ability as well as his obvious defensive attributes that are, that are there for us to see. Um, but yeah, in terms of the business, I mean, it's it, it's incredible business, quite frankly. And like I say, I think we're only really sort of appreciating that ourselves now as a fan base because yeah, we signed him thirty six million. Good price, you know, that was his release clause. Happy days. I think there's some question marks about his injury record. Touchwood, we've seen no sign of that whatsoever since he's arrived. Um, and what a player, quite frankly. And we're only truly going to appreciate just how good that value for money was over time. Because like you allude to, you know, 22 years old, you're looking at a decade and more worth of service there, potentially. So... He could well, and he's got everything it takes to turn into one of the very best, especially learning alongside Virgil van Dijk and from Matip and training and such like. It's just, if you were to build a centre-half and then say, right, go and work with two of the very best around, we've done that, essentially, this summer, well, last summer with Canate. 
and it's frightening just how good he could be. Um, and not only that, how frightening he, frighteningly good he already is. So, yeah, I do believe we've got another one on our hands there. That last thing you say, I think, is really important. Like, obviously, the level he's operating at now, and I think we're seeing in games against Man United, Man City, Inter Milan, last night, Benfica as well. You know, the level he's at already is very high, and I think it's probably sort of right up there with the best kind of under-23 centre-backs, but to think that he can, he's only going to get better in theory from this point is is really exciting, I suppose. And the thing that's impressed me a lot about, can I say, is that he isn't playing all the time. But when he has come in, and a lot of the time he's coming in in really tricky games, he has produced sort of top-level performances and a, a catalogue of them, to be honest. And like you say, Dan, we are starting to maybe appreciate him more by the week. But, Chloe, I don't want to sort of criticise Joel Matip in any way because I think he, he's had a very good season as well. But does Klopp have a pretty big dilemma on his hands heading into next season in terms of who is going to start alongside Van Dijk? Do you think it'll maybe be more of the same of what of what we've seen this season? Because like I say, Matip maybe doesn't deserve to necessarily lose his place in the team. But Kanate is certainly, I think, putting pressure on for that spot. I think it'll be more of the same because you've got to still there's a lot for Kanate to learn and he is an absolute monster. Um he just bullied absolutely everyone last night and he's he's brilliant. He's better than what we all probably expected to be honest. Um because after after that Brighton at home two two there was a lot of mm, will we see him again for for at least a couple of months yeah because that wasn't great. But that was the result of a, a a poor performance from the entire team in that second half. It wasn't singled out to him. It was just because he was new, because he's young, everyone criticised him instead. Um, and I think he's been absolutely superb this season. Yeah, he can rival Matip, but it's a dilemma that I'd want to have. Um, we've got that many good players that, you know, Matip offers so much going forward, and I think Kanata even does right now. But Matip unlocks doors, um, and I don't think Jürgen's got this this problem of putting Kanata before Matip because we all know that Matip probably couldn't last three games a week, which is what we need. He's done it so far this season, which seems like a miracle. But um, Matip knows his own injuries, and Matip is happy to see Kanata. He's even spoken about it. Um, so I don't think it's 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 compa- it's competitive rivalry and it's really good rivalry. It's the the type of rivalry you want. Um, but I don't really think it's a problem. It's it's a nice problem to have, and I think both both of those players understand the importance of a rotation and b also just doing the right thing for the for the football team. Um, they both know that they're going to get their opportunities and to just you know take them when they do. Um, so that is that you know that's just what it is. Um, sorry to skip over my answer, but I have just seen Paul Joyce has announced a little piece here. Liverpool to set step up talks with Jurgen Klopp over new contract, and he is open to signing a new deal. Wow! Well, um, that was my yeah. raised hand, by the way, guys. <laughs> that was my raised hand. Yeah. Uh, well, it's hard to it's hard to know how to sort of react to that I think the the key obviously we know that Liverpool would want um 
with 100% one club to, to stay forever, probably. But I think that sort of second bit that you say there about being o- open to staying is the really exciting bit. But I suppose we can um, come back to that. Yeah. Come back to that one another time. Um, in the immediate future, um, just trying to process that, uh, <laughs> we've got uh, to go to Newcastle um, on Saturday lunchtime. Uh, for a game against an opponent who have won four in a row, and I saw this week have actually accumulated more points than Manchester United uh, since Eddie Howe was appointed. Now, that says a lot about Manchester United, obviously, mm. but testament as well to what Howe's done, um, given that they were sort of dreadful under Bruce in the early part of the season. And, you know, me personally... I lost the respect I had for Newcastle as a football club when they were taken over by sort of the the Saudis. Uh, but I do recognise that Howe has done a commendable job. And I also think, you know, people talk about this record January spend that they've had. Slightly unfair when you consider that, you know, even uh, Gimmarais didn't play um, early on when they were, you know, putting wins together. Trippier when he played four matches, Chris Woods not being very good. So you know a lot of the a lot of the improvements actually come from improving the players he's already had at his disposal. But Dan, moving away from my feelings on the Newcastle project, because uh, I could <laughs> speak about that speak about that for quite a while. Um, this looks like the second most difficult game we've got left, doesn't it? Um, would you, Would you agree with that? Obviously, Spurs stands out, but this is um, a big hurdle to clear in this sort of push for for the trophy. Yeah, 100%. Um, arguably the most difficult when you look at the form, obviously you've alluded to there, and also the fact it's away from home because you'd almost back us, certainly in the circumstance we're in now, to take on all comers at Anfield. Um, it feels like, you know, Anfield being that 12th man could be pivotal um, at times. And obviously you mentioned the Spurs game. Difficult difficult game 100% they're a decent side pushing the top four because it's that time of the season now whereby you know you want to be facing teams that are on the inverted commas beach already um which Newcastle in theory should be but I think for all the reasons you mentioned there that they aren't because obviously they've got the new manager you know there's there's a project to happen there over the summer you'd imagine you'd imagine they'd be looking to bring in new players etc etc so the players that are there now almost like, like fighting for the future um, and fighting for what could be sort of the next next big superpower potentially in the Premier League for all the wrong reasons, which I quite agree with you about. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a difficult game on paper, 100%. Um, but having said all of that, I still back us to the hilt, obviously. Um, I don't expect major changes, which obviously we're going to come on to in a minute, but I'd rank this as probably our most difficult game left. Um, but I just think we've got to go foot to the floor now from here on out. And, and what will be, will be. Um, I, the, the potential for changes, the, the last chance we probably would have had might have been had we have really put last night to bed. Say we'd have got out of there three, definitely four nil. Then that second leg in Spain, we might have seen quite heavy rotation, but we didn't. So for me, I think we've just got to go and go again. Um, and that'll be the same at Newcastle because, like I say, they're aside on the crest of a wave um, with a point to prove in certain aspects. So take nothing for granted and just go again. 
Yeah, I think the atmosphere at um, St. James is going to be um, bang up for it as well, um, which is obviously a factor. Um, I think I'm right in saying as well that the last time we were in the Champions League semi-final, it was the Newcastle game in between those two legs. And obviously that one, yeah, that one took um, took a lot out of us, um, I think emotionally and physically. But mm-hmm. Chloe, Dan's sort of mentioned about rotation there. Um what are your feelings on uh, the kickoff time not being changed and having to play Wednesday night and Saturday lunchtime? And, and with that in mind, that really tight turnaround, what would your lineup be? How many changes uh, do you think we need to make? Um, I think it's absolutely ludicrous. How City can play on a Tuesday night and be the half-five kickoff, just at least switch those two games around. Just put City as the half-12 and then it makes it so much easier. Um, and honestly, the the Premier League absolutely despise in Liverpool. I guess. Um, as for a lineup, it's a game in which I'm I struggle with it because the thing is, is the Premier League is not in Liverpool's hands. Um, we can do as much as we can do, but it is not in our hands. The Champions League is we're two 0 up. It's not safe. If we could have got a third last night. I think we could have made some changes in that away game next next week. Um, but I think it's it's a really hard one. I I, I don't think I think Tismikas is maybe the only the only player there. I'd bring Matip back in. If Tismikas is got um if he's well enough, I'd probably put him in there. Um give Robbo a slight well. I think Trent came off, didn't he, um, last night? Robbo didn't. So try and give him maybe 20 minutes, but try and give him a rest. As for me midfield, it's once again, I'd probably start Navi Keita. Um, I'm just trying to think of ways you can literally get rotation in. I think Fabinho has just got to play. He's got to play. Um, as for your other player in there... I think whoever you put in, you take off on 60, if you can. So I'm going to go Hendo, but he'll probably be pivotal in the away fixture as well. As for me front three, I'd bring Jota in. I'd keep Diaz, and I'd probably keep Salah there and give Mane a rest or play him off the bench. Yeah, mine is pretty similar um, to what you've gone with there. And just to touch on this, uh, Champions League uh, schedule and points as well. People have been talking on Twitter about how you could either do the games on the same night in a sort of maybe six o'clock, eight o'clock kind of slot, or you could also just do if Man City play Tuesday, like in the first week, they could play Tuesday the second week, and we could do Wednesday, Wednesday as well. Um, I don't necessarily see why those things can't happen. Um, it seems like a, sol- a solution that would work to me, but. Um, it's probably to do with uh, with TV and broadcasting. Uh, my lineup would be Allison and Gold, Trent, who came off, like you said, uh, Chloe would start for me. Massive in for Kanate, who might uh, play the second leg. Uh, Van Dijk, Simakas, if he's back from that illness. Fabinho, Henderson, and Keita. You know, it does pay me to take Thiago out of the team, but I just think that an injury to him would be potentially a killer. Um, so, We've got to almost make that sacrifice. Case has been playing well. He's shown that he can be an effective replacement for them. Um, and then Salah, Jota, and Mane is my front line. Uh, you know, I don't think Diaz, you know, played bad or anything uh, yesterday. 
I just think that that Mane came off and, and maybe that front three has a bit more experience together um, than than playing with Diaz. And I think it's almost a certainty that Jota's going to start. And what about you, Dan? Yeah, I'd have gone exactly the same midfield. Um, similar to you, I'm not a hundred percent. I know we've already we've already sort of lauded Thiago um in this episode, but I think if we are gonna give him even a momentary rest, I think Saturday is the game to do it in. And Kate has got similar abilities to Thiago, so I've no issue with that. Um, I'd still be asking Andy Robertson to go at left back though. I think if Simicas had been fully fit for the last few days, I might be tempted to make that change, but I think with his illness, um, I don't see that happening, quite frankly. Yeah, Matip comes in for Canate for me as well, like you've both said. Um, and in the front three, similar to what I said with Simicast, I'd have gone with Roberto Firmino if he was fit, um, but that's unlikely. So I think I would be on... I really want to give Manny a rest, but we probably just can't do it. So I'm probably going to go with you and say, yeah, Salah... Mane through the middle and Jota on the left. Um, and I was really impressed with Diaz last night. I must admit, I thought he was outstanding, actually. And he's shown he was cutting in a lot more and taking shots from range, which is something we haven't seen from him as of yet in his Liverpool career. So if he can continue doing that and maybe become even more effective at it, then that would be great. Um, but yeah, I don't expect big changes whatsoever. I think slight rotation. Um, and yeah, we go again. Yeah, interesting that um, you'd have um, Jota play down the left and Amani through the middle because that's obviously been a, a bit of a... That's not really been the main pattern, but Mane has had a lot of success playing through the middle and yeah. he's, in, he's in a great run of form. So that certainly um, could be worth a try. I think the Firmino injury, you know, something I wanted to mention actually and forgot about. It's not ideal, is it? The timing of it. Hopefully he's back pretty soon, but... We, we've seen the benefits of having the, the five attackers. Um, we've we've kind of had the four um, earlier in the season. So you'd want them all back um, for that kind of rotation, really. But um, as usual now, we'll kind of uh, whip around and get some uh, score predictions. I'll start us off. I think it is going to be um, a really, a really tight one, uh, to be honest. I'm going to say uh, 2-1 to Liverpool. Uh, Chloe? Yeah, I think it'll be a really, really tough game. Um, I'm stuck between... I mean, you've gone 2-1, which is what I would have went with, so I'm not going to go with it. I'm going to go 1-0 win. <laughs> that seems to happen every week uh, lately. I'll have to let, I'll have to let you go before me next time. Um, Dan, what are you saying? Ever the optimist. Um, I think Newcastle are a good side, enjoying a very good moment. Um, but I just don't... I think the fact they're in a good moment and the fact that they're playing positively actually suits us um, in my warped, optimistic mind. Um, and let's be honest, we're in a wonderful moment if they're in a good one. So I'm going to say Liverpool 2-0. Well, we've seen in the past that Liverpool have been able to survive through, you know, that run of games that's so relentless just by having that rhythm and that maybe it almost suits the most. Hopefully we see that again and we we kind of hype it up in our heads is a lot more difficult than it turns out to be. Uh, but we'll we'll certainly see about that. So that is uh, going to wrap us up for episode 65. We'll be back after the second leg next week when hopefully we'll be talking about uh, Liverpool securing a place in the Champions League final. But there's still obviously quite a bit of work to be done before that. In the meantime, please uh, rate the podcast five stars on Spotify. 
and give it a positive review on any other uh, podcast platform you might use. And remember to subscribe to the YouTube channel for clips of each episode. And you can find the link to that in the episode description. So, yeah, well, we obviously heard Chloe break the news there about um, about Klopp. So we'll hope that turns into um, something quite concrete from the club. Um, and we'll obviously provide that reaction that if necessary. But hopefully that provides Liverpool with yet another boost as they go for this um, unprecedented achievement. But yeah, we will see you next week. Bye for now.